Twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food of the of the government. 
oppression, the true oppression. They do not have the answers. Because all they're trying to do is create a different power system that will oppress somebody else. The kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God wants to bring freedom rather than oppression to a different group of people, as we'll see. So you have these oppressed people. Apparently what is happening in this passage is that these people are working on the wall, and some of them are poor, and others are very wealthy. And, and also the Jews, had, at some point or another, had, had started buying their fellow Jews from the people who had enslaved them. And, and so, so these people come to Nehemiah, there was a great outcry of people and their wives. This is an interesting piece as well because it says there was a great outcry of people and their wives. And it's very clear that the women were integrally involved in saying, we need to bring about some change. Because they were running out of food. These people were running out of food. And at the same time they were helping build the wall, running out of food, the rich people were still bringing all kinds of oppression, still requiring. And uh, three phrases in, in verse 5, if you look at verse 5, it says, Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brother. Like we, 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 we have become their flesh. They own us. Our children are as their children. And, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. They need to bend over our walls. So some of the women have already been taken captive. And then they say, it is not in our power to help us. For we are powerless. We cannot do anything about this. For other men have our fields and vineyards. We're running out of food. And somebody else has control of their money. Giving us, giving us access to food. Oh, 
another batch of the government and get them another batch of money, and the cycle just perpetuates itself. And Nehemiah says, these are your brothers. You're not on two sides here. We're on one side. These are your brothers and sisters. Why are you doing this? And, and it, it, it brings them together. He calls a great assembly. And what do you think the, the oppressed people felt when Nehemiah said that when they worked out Nehemiah and they realized Nehemiah is doing something about this. And, and so Nehemiah, he, he was very angry. And he called the people together and, and he tells them, I, I, said, I, I said to them, we, as far as we were able, had fought back our Jewish brothers who had been sold to the nation. We fought them back. What are you doing enslaving them? And it's really profound, and they were silent. It's one of those assemblies where there's great silence. And, uh, and then Nehemiah takes it even bigger. He globalizes it. He says, you know what you're doing? You're actually hindering the work of God. Because when you oppress people, the enemy of God's people have a right to taunt you and say, you're no different than anybody else. Nobody says, Because the enemy will see that. And then they say, well, okay, now we need to make that change. And, and it appears that they're very repentant. And, and then but Nehemiah takes a step further. So, so he rises up and then he kind of globalizes and says, this is not just about money. This is not just about power. This is not just about the things that, that you see on the surface. This is about establishing the walls and the kingdom of God. And then he Apparently, they have some kind of ceremony where he's in front of people and he gathers up his robes like he's gathering up the, the hurt and injustice of these people and he scatters it out of the ground. He says, like, if, if you are going to make the changes necessary, may you be scattered out like our enemies. And so, and then the latter half of the chapter is really powerful because then it, 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 it morphs right into the people did as they had promised, it says. And it morphs right into Nehemiah talking about his own acts of generosity. And I was thinking about this. Why is this included here? And I thought, I came to think, what is the opposite of oppression? Freedom is the opposite of oppression. We ought to think about that. I think that the opposite of being an oppressor is to be generous, to be filled with generosity. And Nehemiah says, look at me. I have done this. Now, sometimes we kind of react to that when somebody does that because it's just another way to oppress. But it's not true in Nehemiah's case. Nehemiah was very wealthy, and he said, this is how much it's costing me to do it. And yet you guys are out there selling your brothers, and you make more money to sell your brothers, you make more money to sell your brothers, and all you do is benefit yourself. And as I was thinking about that, it, it, it suddenly struck me that, that, that there are some very real-life applications to this. But oppression is not only about money. Oppression is about and the opportunities that we're given. It's about money too, but it's, about, it's also about the position and opportunities we're given. And if we are given position and opportunities, and we oppress other people, if God gives us space to operate, and gives us means to operate, and yet we oppress people, how are we any different than Nehemiah's uh, nobleman here? And that, that made me really think about my and I think that, that, that in 
order to understand oppression and to speak out about it. And there is much oppression in our world. And, and maybe one of the things that we want to do in our world is protect ourselves against seeing the oppression. We don't want to go into cities and places where people are oppressed because, uh, or, or, even, or even think about all this oppression happening in our circles. How do we oppress people? But in order to understand and to really repent and change, I think that there are three things that we need to practically do in order to understand what God wants us to do. First of all, that we need to recognize and honor the image of God in every person we meet. The image of God. Think about this. Do you believe that God created humanity? Let's not even talk about land or water. But do you believe that God created the world in humanity? So if, if you believe that, good. It does. Um, but if we believe that, that God created the man living soul and created, he created maybe James, exactly the way he did, or, or Theodore, or any other thing. And in that little person is put a part of the image of God. And when we view our fellow humans uh, and we oppress them, we are actually oppressing the image of God in that person. Uh, in James, God says, why do you always kind of uh, go to the wealthy and do good with the wealthy, but when the poor comes, you don't do anything? Should not blessing and cursing? Why do blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? He says. So we need to recognize the image of God in every person. We also need to recognize God's ownership. Everything we have in life belongs to in the Old Testament, they were not permitted, they, they were not supposed to reap the corners of their uh, fields. You know why? Why would they not supposed to harvest the corners of their fields? What's that? Yeah. So leave them for the poor the immigrants of the day. Let them go back to those corners and, and take care of that. So, so we need to recognize God's ownership. Uh, I was reading Tim Keller this morning. He had a really good point about Think of the millions of children and teenagers in this country that have grown up in poverty. They attend failing schools and live in environments unconducive to reading and learning. By the time they're in their teens, many of them are functionally illiterate. This locks them into poverty, and or, or even worse, it is estimate that the majority of the convicts in prison are illiterate. So who's to blame for that? Ultimately, God's people, because uh, you know, conservatives argue that it's the parents' fault, moral breakdowns, demise of traditional family values. Uh, liberals argue that it's the fault of the government to not stem racism and do all that. Uh, and, and no one would really argue that it's the young child's fault that they were born where they are. They're, these are children in poverty, largely because they were born in families unlike ours. And the solution. He says is to realize that God, I would say God has given us, and that can change the world. And the things that God has given us are intended to change the world. And so if, you, if we have plenty, if you have been assigned goods and opportunities in this world by God, and you don't share them, that is not just easy. It is injustice and oppression. And I, I begin to think about that. And I, I sometimes think 
Thank you. 